0: This program is brought to you by the partners of Arute Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support Arute Awakening International today.
1: Recent archaeological discoveries in Israel have uncovered what appear to be football sized structures in the shape of a human foot. So what are these structures, and are they mentioned in the Bible? Well, Aaron Lipkin shares how these structures may explain ancient Israeli worship rituals. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat
2: Night Live.
1: Shabbat Shalom Torah fans, welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Deuteronomy 11.24 tells us, Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. From the wilderness of Lebanon, well, and Lebanon, to the river, to the river Euphrates, even to the Western Sea, it all should be your territory. But tonight, you're going to find out that this verse is more literal than substan- and more substantial, that is, than you ever imagined. It's episode two of our journey with Aaron Lipkin, the exodus you never knew. Tonight, it's the footprints of God. And if that, if that wasn't exciting enough, it's almost time for the fall feast. So, do you realize that we're less than a week away from Yom Teruah? That's the feast of trumpets, if you are new to your Hebrew roots. And we have something new for your shofar as well. So let's talk about that with the host <laughs> of this new show on Root Awakening YouTube channel called The Deep. Dive into the book of Jonah, Keith Johnson, and our partner services director, David Robinson. I'm excited.
0: I'm excited. In fact, I want to use you two as examples of okay. how we go about this Bible study. Please do. You represent the Jewish Publication Society, you represent the New International Version. Christian translators, Jewish translators. For every episode, what we do is we go back and forth between the Jewish Publication Society their English translation, and the Christian translation, the NIV. And then the Hebrew Bible gets to be the authoritative source for what the answer is. And what's so cool about this is we ask people to always bring at least two English. It doesn't have to be the NIV. It could be like your Jerusalem Bible in the series that we did Mm on the uh, name of God, Pure and Simple. You can take any version you want. And sometimes without even having this, what the English versions will let you know is what the issues are. Hmm. Why does the JPS translate it this way and the NIV translates it this way? Now, sometimes, say sometimes.
1: Sometimes.
0: Sometimes. Sometimes there's a little agenda in there. And so what we allow the English versions to do is to help us find out what the agenda is. Once we find out what the agenda is, we can give people access to the information that they can kind of untangle that. So that's what I do with the, this 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 series. And again, I went verse by verse. My wife said to me, Keith, can't you do more than a verse? <laughs> 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 but each episode, one verse. Wow. You can learn language, okay. history, context in the Bible that Yeshua read, the Hebrew Bible. With your English versions, and not only that, we give you an entire uh, complimentary free course alongside if you want to go even deeper. Mm. It is exciting, and I have to say thank you to Michael, Mm -hmm. because again, the first time I met him, he said it's got to be in the book. It's got to be in the book. He's a Bible thumper. I'm a Bible thumper, loving the land of Israel, seeing the Bible come alive. Sometimes I have to just walk away from my Bible. It's so exciting. Mm -hmm. So we give people that sort of uh, information, inspiration and revelation so that their Bible can become that strong foundation. We're using the book of Jonah, which is called an easy Hebrew uh,
1: by, so why, is it, why is it called it Newzik? Well, it's, it's,
0: it's how Hebrew works. Like if you're reading, in say, for example, the Psalms in in a, in a poetic form, sometimes that's more difficult. But in in Jonah, it's 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 a narrative, so it's like. Um, Uh, It's not as complicated with the words, many repeated words. People are going to find that, hey, I know that word. Oh, I saw that word in the next verse. Mm. I saw that. Oh, I saw it three times in the next verse. And so we just go through the first chapter of Jonah if, say if, we can get through enough people in September to like, to subscribe, to share, uh, to get the ball rolling. If we can get enough people by the end of this month. We'll start uh, Yom Teruah with the, the next episodes, and we have be a
1: new episode every Sunday, every 1, Sunday
0: PM. 1 p.m. Boom!
1: There it comes on. And on where YouTube. is it?
0: It's on YouTube. Yep. By the way, we've got uh, Chris Clark doing Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's there. Jacob's doing YouTube. Who knows? We we'll have little sections on TikTok. We'll do everything we can because we're giving it away to the world, and that's what I got to thank Michael for. Let's go to the ocean. You know, let's don't get comfortable. Let's go to the ocean. And that's exactly what we're doing with this this series. One of many that I think will happen with other teachers to expand our our territory. As Uh. the verse says. We go there, we put our foot there, guess what? We own Sundays now.
2: Yep. Okay. okay.
0: Yep. We're gonna own Wednesdays and who knows how many days. How many, information spread everywhere. And yep, we gotta make sure,
1: good, huh? make sure when you see this that you share, uh, you subscribe. You subscribe. And the more views like the more it, views, like, the, yeah. more views yeah. Yeah. the more it'll be shared by YouTube. And
0: people have to really realize as you're listening to this, you're the reason this is gonna be successful.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They're the reason it's gonna be successful. Shabbat Night Live, hey, we've got we've got a wonderful, I don't know, thousands of people that watch this, but don't get comfortable share Share Shabbat Night Live. Mm. Comment about Shabbat Night Live. You know, I mean, do everything, you know, it's 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 a way that we can just share in a platform that's free mm-hmm. to lots and lots of people. So yep. that's what we're doing.
1: Indeed. We're gonna expand territory next week. Yes. Not this week and
2: say, really
1: we have a very exciting Announce announcements that yeah we've been waiting guys i'm uh, literally years (laughs) years to tell you about this Mm. uh you're you're gonna freak out so next week (laughs) next week be sure be sure to turn it into to shabbat night live yes uh has nothing to do with shabbat night live has nothing to do with the deep dive jonah it's something else yes something else that's all i'm gonna say right now Tight lip. Oh, it's so hard.
2: I know. Uh, uh, Keep it in.
1: (laughs) No. But something we do have right now is this cool thing. We gotta, we gotta tell people about this thing again. This is created by a guy named uh, Ken Cowart, Mm -hmm. Uh, and he goes to my uh, Shabbat gathering. Very proud to know Ken. He's a good friend of mine. Known him for years, and he says, "Hey, I got this idea for something for for a rude awakening. Do you think people would like it?" Do you like it? Yeah. It's a shofar holster. There's, there's two of them. There's it's two. There's two of them. There's one with the name of Yehovah on it, and there's one that's with a little cartoon of Michael with uh, some some grain <laughs> hanging out of his face <laughs> and a cowboy hat, and it says Shalom, y'all. <laughs> you wear this to your next Shabbat gathering, yeah. man. Are people going to ask about that? It is a shofar holster, David. You yeah. got the, the September and love this gift. This is there. a September love gift, and look, it fits perfect. I like got. There you oh, yeah, go. Yeah. It's got your belt loops. Right. Now, just to be clear, these things are not included in the, in the, in the love gift this month, right. but they're always going to be available. So don't worry. After September, it's still going to be here. Yeah, these are on the store. Yeah. I mean, they'll, yeah. they'll be there, but this is the September love gift. Yeah. And with the so. September love gift, we have a teaching from Aaron Lipkin. Uh, it's kind of the Aaron Lipkin month. Right? Yes. So we've, got, we've gone bunch mm-hmm. bunch Night Live. He's teaching us about Israel. Just understanding Israel. This is really interesting. Understanding Israel, says the back of the DVD, uh, ex- examines what can be done about the situation between Israel and Palestine. And, and the rest of it. And more importantly, how Jehovah's plan will restore relationships Amen. to bring all people under his reign in the promised land. And I think it's going to be kind of surprising to people
2: mm-hmm.
1: who's going to be in the promised land and be like, what? Those guys are here? <laughs> but yeah, because Yehovah's working behind the scenes. And this is a beautiful thing about this teaching. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of shows you how everything's coming together. And uh, so that, you know, as part of the love gift, this is. Aaron's gift to you, he, he wanted to give this to Michael to give to you for, for your donations in September. We have some other gifts here. Kai Wall blessing in yep. and the, and the uh, ram's horn. Yep. And uh, it's just Michael's way of thanking you for uh, supporting the ministry. And we're not asking you to buy this tonight, not on right. Shabbat, but after Shabbat. Right, you, indeed. Yeah. And we, it's really, it's a donation too. It, but it, even it's if you, you feel uncomfortable yeah, You're not even that, buying then, it, you're donating. And we're just right. giving you this as a gift. Absolutely. Okay, so here's what you're gonna see tonight. Take a look.
3: Gilgal appears in other places as well, in Jericho, uh, in the area of Benjamin, and so it's not a name of a place, but it's a name of a structure.
1: Yeah, Gilgal. Interesting. Gilgal is not a place; it's something else. Yes. Interesting stuff. So we're going to hear more about that tonight. So, including football field sized structures. Yes, in ancient Israel. (laughs) Wow. They're in the shape of a human foot. What are these things? What do they mean? Aaron Lipkin is up next with episode two of The Exodus You Never Knew. Michael Root is next with the Kiddush. We'll be right back. Israel has a complicated history. Wars, political tensions, and moving borders have created animosity among neighbors who were once friends. Israel resident and tour operator Aaron Lipkin gives us a local's perspective on Israel's history and how current events are shaping its future. When you
3: separate the populations in in these different political agreements and you create this ignorance and this hatred, then that's what you get.
1: Understanding Israel with Aaron Lipkin examines what can be done and how Jehovah's plan will restore relationships to bring all people under his reign in the promised land. This special teaching is Michael Rood's gift to thank you for supporting A Rood Awakening International. When you donate $50 to this ministry in September, we'll send you Understanding Israel on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you two gifts. Understanding Israel with Aaron Lipkin plus an authentic ram's horn shofar from Israel just in time for the fall feasts. Donate $300 and we'll send you three gifts. Understanding Israel with Aaron Lipkin, the ram's horn shofar and a custom-made wall hanging from Israel handcrafted in the shape of the word chai meaning life in Hebrew. This beautiful keepsake contains semi-precious stones from Israel and a blessing for everyone who enters your home. These gifts are a limited-time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Get these exclusive thank-you gifts when you make a donation to support a Rood Awakening International in September. Hurry, supplies are limited. Call 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. Folks around these parts tell me you're pretty quick with that shofar. I am. And that's a, a mighty purdy holster you got there. You sure you can uh,
2: <clears throat> make me one? I am. <laughs> dude, why do you keep saying I am? It's the name of God, dude. Yehovah. You know, I am. Oh. Uh, <clears throat> There's only one problem with that, partner.
1: You see, this Sabbath gathering ain't big enough for two shofar.
2: Are you saying we should draw? I am. Some of the traditions in modern day Judaism are what Yeshua said are takanot, laws which change biblical law, which are forbidden, and Yeshua said don't do them. But other traditions are remembrances of good things in the past, and they are a shadow picture of good things to happen in the future. On the Sabbath, we take two loaves. Two loaves of bread. This represents the manna, the double portion that we received on the sixth day. This was God's provision for us. And this is what it continues to mean to us today. When Yeshua just before his crucifixion, the night before his crucifixion, at the last supper that he had with his disciples, he took bread and he blessed, not the bread, he blessed the Most High. And he said, And he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, remember this. By his stripes, we were healed, and then he took the cup, and he said, in the prayer of Melchizedek to Abraham, Baruch atah Yehovah, Alam, Borei Hagafen, blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine, and Yeshua said this, what you have been doing for a thousand years from the time of Abraham, this represents the renewed covenant in my blood, This is how I will pay for the broken covenant. I will pay the death penalty and do this until I come.
1: Welcome to Shabbat Night Live. When last we spoke with Aaron Lipkin, we were talking about a lead tablet, and that led to other conversations. And Aaron, uh, Michael Root is in the studio with us today, and we were talking about this, and it turns out that there's a connection here, because we were talking about um, uh, Tim Mahoney, and Tim Mahoney and Michael, and turns out Michael knows your dad. Right. Let's talk about that. Who okay. is your father? Uh,
3: my father is Avi Lipkin. Uh, he's also known under his pen name Victor Mordecai. Uh, my father has been lecturing in churches for the past 30 years and mainly about the threat of Islam to uh, the, the Western world, um, you know, warning about Islamic terrorism years before 9-11. You know, everybody thought that Avi Lipkin is exaggerating, and then suddenly 9-11 happens, and, and my father becomes this, this prophet that everybody has, has to listen to. And, uh, and I have to say that thanks to my father, um, I, I was also uh, introduced to the, uh, the, the Zionist Christian world in the United States. And, uh, and since then, the Lipkin family developed a, these, this amazing relationship uh, with 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 strong supporters of Israel here in the land, I have to say that as a 16 year old Jewish Israeli uh, going for the first time into an evangelical church in San Antonio, I was totally shocked because you know as a Jew in Israel, you're not taught to hate Christianity or to to hate um, uh, you know Jesus, but because you learn history and you and there's such such terrible history between Judaism and Christianity, you kind of, you know, get out of the Israeli educational system thinking that everybody hates us and we're alone in the world. And suddenly, you know, I'm going into this church in San Antonio and I see flags of Israel everywhere and I see people coming and hugging us and kissing us and asking us for forgiveness for what happened in history. That was the first time that I understood that reality is much more complex than I thought. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, I came back to Israel, shared this amazing news with my friends in Israel. No one believed us. And, uh, but I have to say that today, you know, 30 years afterwards, uh, the people of Israel really appreciate the support that we're getting from the, the Zionist Christian world uh, in the United States and all over the world. Mm. We understand that we have allies that are standing with us as we walk together to receive Messiah.
1: Mm. And it doesn't really depend on who's in the government. It's the people. Right. It's the people. Right. That doesn't change. Exactly. Government changes. The people don't change. Amen. So, you know, uh, it's something you mentioned about your dad. Uh, this 9-11, people might be saying, well, what? what's the connection between your dad and 9-11? And the key is 1997. Tell me about 1997.
3: Right. So, you know, my, my, my mother, uh, who we didn't speak about, uh, is a, a radio and TV um, uh, employee in Israel. She works in the main Israeli channel and she monitors Arab broadcasts and you know she's receiving this this amazing information that she needs to pass on to her uh, superiors about things that you know the foreign minister of Saudi Arabia is saying and the, the 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 prime minister of Egypt and and she's she's getting this amazing information and she's sharing it with my father and some of that information is is a, is a certain politician, a Muslim politician, that is is talking about that possibility of planes crashing into into buildings in
1: 1997. Yes.
3: Yeah, so my father is sharing that, you know, on, on the news here in, in Christian ministries, and obviously no one is believing him. You know, Avi Lipkin is exaggerating. He's not. You know, we don't know where he's getting that information from. And suddenly it happens. So, you know, really thanks to my mom and the important information and the news that she's receiving and sharing with my father, he is able to come to the United States and and really tell the American public what is really being said in Arabic. Mm -hmm. Okay, because what's being said in English, that's a a different thing. What's being really said and meant is in the Arab language, and that's what my father is bringing to the American public. So, you know, I remember 9/11. My father is, is here in the United States lecturing. The whole thing's happening, and and he is is he's shocked because for the first time in his life, uh, he sees his forecasts, uh, you know, appearing in front of him in reality, and uh, and you know, from that point on. He's been you know, on tours in the United States intensively talking about the danger of Islam to the Western Judeo-Christian civilization.
1: Mm, amazing. Wow, I think God has His hand on your whole family because now Thank you, you followed your father here, and you saw, uh, you, like mentioned, you, you came to San Antonio when you were sixteen, mm-hmm. and now uh, you are here, and some of your family's here with you as well, accompanying you, and and uh, God is just making a way for and you to come. I, on and I'm telling like you, this. I, I'm
3: going to churches and I'm going to synagogues and I'm sharing these amazing archaeological discoveries, <laughs> and the reaction I'm getting from both both congregations christians and jews is amazing people are have this suddenly this this flame burning in their eyes for god and for the land of israel
1: and speaking of the land of israel before i forget so now there's been a impedance for folks to go to israel just because of the whole uh the shutdown with with the pandemic and all of that type of thing but you said something to me uh, just today that I didn't realize, that everything is wide open now. Not even a, a vaccine is a requirement exactly. to go tour Israel. Is that right?
3: Exactly, people are coming to me. They say, we want to come to Israel, but we can't. We need to take a vax, a vaccination. And I say, no more. Israel lit, canceled all requirements we're back to normal. People can come back to Israel, visit, come back to the United States, no requirements, no tests. Even coming back to the United States, tests are not required by the, the federal government. So so Israel is open for tourism, and I invite everyone to come. It's. it's, it's We've been waiting for so long for you to come, and Israel is on your bucket list. So, 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 make it happen. Come, and we'd love to have you and, and take you all over and show you the places where the the the, the amazing stories and of the Bible really happened.
1: Right, not like a regular tour. Like My- Michael's tours are wonderful because he took people to. Places that they didn't normally go either. So, where can people go on your tour? What's the website to visit?
3: To? Okay, so um, our tours are in LipkinTours.com. Okay, and you can see the uh, the uh, domain, the name, the the, the web address mm-hmm. on the screen. Uh, you can also, we, but we're not just a travel agency. We, you know, we do uh, the, we do Jerusalem, the Galilee, and, and Judea and Samaria, all the biblical sites. But uh, we're also a content provider. We publish the books of Adam Zertal, and we have, you know, the the book about the discovery of Joshua's altar, a nation born. Mm. Um, an amazing. Uh, this is not an archaeology book. This is a popular book that describes the discovery of the altar by Adam Zertal himself. Uh, and so, if you if you guys want your relatives who kind of have their thoughts about the veracity of the Bible and that it really happened, here is an atheist professor that was convinced that it did.
1: Yeah, and we uh, talked about all that last week, and exactly. watched last week's episode exactly. too. But, but yeah. I
3: think that, that the most exciting thing is Adam Rattel's discovery about the footprint structures and uh, I think that, uh, that our audience is going to be blown away by, by that discovery. Yeah, let's
1: talk about that day, today, because when you first brought that up, I, I had no idea about these, these foot structures. And I thought you were talking about the, the Israelites. When they went through the land, they, they would trace their, uh, their feet and, and put it on the, the stones. And of course, uh, Jim and hendy Caldwell have talked about this, among others. I thought that's what you were talking about. But no, this is football-sized structures in the shape of a foot. Uh, so I was curious about that. I'm sure our audience is. What are these, what is this all about?
3: So I have to, I have to say that I was blown away when I heard that for the first time as well. Uh, you know, after Adam Zertal first presented to me uh, the discovery of Joshua's altar, you know, he said, after finishing, he said, well, I see we have another 20 minutes. Do you want to hear about another discovery we've made? And I said, yeah, okay. So he started giving us a lecture about mysterious Uh, oval-shaped structures uh, that look like feet, they look like footprints. Um, And they're part of uh, the settlement influx into the Jordan Valley that the, the same team of Zertal discovered. Now you have to understand, one of the claims of the academic world is that the Israelites never invaded into Canaan because if you had millions of people crossing the Jordan River into the Jordan Valley, you should have Um, evidence of people settling in the Jordan Valley. Um, And and according to the academic world, no evidence was found. And so Adam Zertal and his crew start surveying the Jordan Valley in 1978 thoroughly. And what they see is that at the late Bronze Age, the year 1500 to 1300, uh, the Jordan Valley is empty. There's no one there. It's a desert, it's arid, it's hard to live there. but. When we, when we go into the early Iron Age period, the year 1300 and on, suddenly hundreds of sites appear in the Jordan Valley from nowhere. Hmm. Okay, they didn't come from the west, so the assumption is that they came from the east, okay? And and so what we have, what I'm talking about right now, is the, the archeological proof for an invasion of hmm. a semi-nomadic culture into the Jordan Valley.
1: But it could be the Israelites. Of course, because the Israelites
3: never existed, <laughs> right? right? Uh, and that. so and so what we have is these 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 hundreds of sheep pens that that the tents were were set around them. Mm. So this is how the Israelites lived in the Jordan Valley in the time of Joshua. and but what the other thing that they did was they they built these f- these football fields structure uh, in the shape of a footprint, uh, three of them in the Jordan Valley. One of them leading from the Jordan to Samaria to Mount Eval, a fourth one on Mount Eval, and two more—sorry, uh, one more—in Samaria uh, near my town, actually, where mm-hmm. I live. Um, and so, the, the, when Zertal finds this, he, he doesn't understand what it is, and he, and he tries to 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 look at the Bible and to to see if there's anything that that mentions uh, uh, you know these these compounds where Israelites built and used. And suddenly he stumbles upon a, a, a structure or a place in the Bible called Gilgal. Now, we first hear about Gilgal when Moses talks about the ceremony of the blessings and the curses. He says that those mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, are near a Gilgal that is close to Shechem, to Elon Moreh, the Oak of Moreh. Uh, But then he sees that Gilgal appears in other places as well, in Jericho, uh, in the area of Benjamin. And so it's not a name of a place, but it's a name of a structure. Um, and, and what of a function? And, and what are the Israelites doing there? They're sacrificing, they're circumcising, they're they're um, uh, uh, convening before going against war with Amalek and other nations. They crown King Saul at Gilgal. So Gilgal is a, is an important place of national events or national conferences. For, for different reasons. And so he speculates that that is biblical Gilgal or Gilgals, and then he starts looking at them as, as these, these places of worship of the Israelites. And, and he sees that, first of all, why is it in a, in a symbol of a foot? So there, there are a couple of reasons, and our audience can, can purchase the book, The Footsteps of God, and read all about it. But I'm just going to share some of those uh, insights of Professor Zertal. So, first of all, Zertal looks in the Middle East, he sees if there's anything about feet in the Egyptian culture, and the Assyrian culture, and he sees that in Egypt, the foot of Pharaoh is a symbol of government. It's a fi- symbol of conquest. Mm-hmm. There are many temples, and our audience, audience can see in the picture on the screen, the feet of Pharaoh were on the enslaved nations of the world. Where, uh, the sandals of Tut Anak Amon, the, the, the Pharaoh, had pictures of the seven bows, the seven nations of the world, and when he would, when he would step, on those sandals, he would literally or, or spiritually show his governments, governance over his conquest over these nations. Mm. But when we look at the Bible, we see that the Bible is also filled with, with the word foot um, or feet and in, in different categories. And I think one of the most evident ones in the book of Joshua and in Deuteronomy, the time that we're talking about, God is saying to Joshua, wherever you will tread your foot will be yours from the Lebanon to, to the desert. So, so, so the foot is basically the Israelite flag that says, this is ours. This, is, this belongs to the Israelites. This belongs to, to God. And so um, Zertal believed that that is the reason why they're making putting so much energy in building these, these footprint structures. But that's not the only thing. You know. Another, another interesting thing is you know, Zertal is saying to himself, how do you say pilgrimage in Hebrew? Pilgrimage in Hebrew is aliyah la-regel*, which means literally going up to the foot. Mm, okay? okay. Now, we've never, as, as, as Hebrew speakers, we never really think about what we're saying. It's just a term we use to say going up to the temple or going to the, the mishkan, the, the place of worship. But suddenly now, after finding this the, these footprint structures, we understand that when the Israelites said we're going up to the foot, it literally meant... We're going to the footprint structure to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to do pilgrimage. Um, so I think that that's, that's, that's an amazing understanding. Um, so,
1: so again, the, the Hebrew word for foot is legal? Regal. Regal. Is there any connection between Gilgal and Regal?
3: So no, so Gilgal uh, is, literally means a circle of stones. Oh, okay. okay? Um, but but uh, that's, that's all it means. Uh, Regel literally means a foot. Uh, by the way, the three biblical feasts—Tabernacle, Pentecost, and and uh, Passover—are called feet. They're called regalim. Mm. Okay. So, uh, so here we see again this amazing connection between the Bible and archaeology, and how archaeology doesn't just verify the the historicity; it also sheds new light and new insights on our understanding of the the Bible.
1: Mm, Wow, that is fascinating. So these are found, you said there's, what, four or five? You mentioned how many sites? There are a
3: total of six footprint structures. Okay. And actually, um, I'll surprise our audience, but uh, Zertal, every time he finished his PowerPoint presentation about the footprint structures, he would would finish with two slides. What about Jerusalem? And then he would show in his last slide a picture of Jerusalem during the time of King Solomon. And, you know, we're just putting it on the screen right now, but our audience can see clearly that the city of David and Mount Moriah and the, the way the wall was around the city of Jerusalem looks very much like a foot.
1: And you were uh, showing me before the cameras came on, you were showing me this structure and the different. Parts of it, so there is a. Uh, we'll show something on the screen here. Mm-hmm. One of these, mm-hmm. uh, there you can see the the elevation uh, of this this one particular. And there's sort of a a common area and a holy area. Could could you explain that? Yes.
3: Yeah, so so many of the structures are have inner separation inside of them, that uh, that uh, apparently according to our assumptions separate between a holy. And the Holy of Holies, where only the the high priesthood could go into and do the sacrificial ceremonies. Um, and, and but aside from the the inner divisions of the footprint, uh, we also see that many of them have a high ground, a bama or an altar. I mean, especially in the Joshua's altar that we just spoke about. Um, that that's the bama of the footprint on Mount Ebal. Um, but what we also see in some of these footprint structures is really interesting. We see that some of them have something called a procession road. Mm. Uh, so part of the outline of the foot is actually a way where people can walk between two rows of stone around something. Why is that important? It's important because when we say today Chag in Hebrew, Chag means May you have a happy holiday or a happy feast. Um, but where does the word Chag come from? Chag in Hebrew means to go around. Hmm. Okay, now again, we don't think about, about that when we say that on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a day-to-day basis, but now after seeing that these f- Feet, these footprint structures have a procession road that makes us walk around, we understand where Chag, the name Chag, to go around, to circle, comes from. And even today, when you come to, to synagogues during tabernacles, you see Jews holding the four species in their hands, and they're walking around the main um, uh, platform in the synagogue, mm-hmm. In remembrance of the, the the ceremonies in the temple, so going around is definitely part of the ancient Israelite worshiping. And again, we see that literally, physically see that in the footprint structures.
1: Does that have anything to do with marching around Jericho?
3: That's definitely part of it. Yes, I mean, I mean, when you when you walk around something, it, it has a meaning. It, it could have a, a spiritual meaning of worshiping God. Uh, It it could also have, it probably has the same meaning with Jericho. I mean, when the Israelites are doing that, they're not just marching with soldiers, they're marching with the Ark of the Covenant, they're marching with the priests. So what they're saying is we're not conquering Jericho just in the name of army conquest and, and looting. We're actually doing that because God commanded us. And guess what? Guess what? We're not going to take anything from this city. We're not going to loot it because God commanded that we're going to dis- fully destroy it as a sign for all the Canaanites to know that God is in control and this land belongs to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm. So, uh, so th- I think I, I I personally see the connection between the two. So, thank you for bringing that up.
1: Certainly, yeah, it's <laughs> even the same as with uh, with sacrifices. We think of there's sometimes there is a burnt offering. No one is going to take anything from that offering. It's burnt up and it's. Done. Yes. It's only for, for God. Right. Wow. Okay, well, we're learning all kinds of fascinating stuff here, and there's more to come. So thank you for bringing Aaron here. I say thank you because you brought him here with your donations. Uh, we need to keep going with this so that others can see this into the future. So that is your turn now. So we're going to give you an opportunity to do that, and we'll be right back. Thank you. Thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live. Before the break, we were talking about the uh, the footsteps of God, these foot-like structures that are the size of about a, a football field, as you said, Aaron. And uh, so we're seeing these, and then we see the, uh, the sandals of Tutankhamun, which we sh- showed before, and even in their hieroglyphics of his foot on top of his conquered people. So who borrowed from whom? I mean, did the Israelites borrow this idea from the Egyptians the other way around, or how did this happen?
3: Well, um, you know... I, I, I remember being a student in high school and being aggravated that my teacher is is saying that uh, you know the Bible was uh, invented and it was actually from Assyrian and Babylonian mythologies. So I remember that kind of brought me into a period where I was very zealous for the Bible and I, in my mind the Bible was given to us from God in Mount Sinai and you know there's no uh, foreign intervention. This is purely what God gave us. Period, um, but I have to say today that I'm so confident in in my belief in God and the divinity of the Bible that suddenly I, I, I'm starting to open up and listen to to what's being said about the 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 the, the history of the Israelites, where they were, uh, how what they did, how they spoke, and and suddenly I see that that foreign influence doesn't take away from the divinity of the Bible. Mm. It actually verifies the biblical story. And you know, when Adam Zertal is saying that, that, that the reason why the Israelites are building these footprint structures and that this probably is from Egyptian thinking and, and culture, for me, that is not taking away from the historicity of the Bible, it's actually proving it. Because the Israelites were, were in Egypt for centuries,
1: right? So, for in order for them to exist, they borrowed Egyptian. They were ideas. part of Egyptian, yeah.
3: Egyptian, okay. Egyptian society. They 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 spoke Egyptian. You know, when you meet a person in the street with the name of Boris, you immediately know that he is probably from Russia, or his parents are from are from Russia. Well, guess what? Aaron, Moses, Miriam, Zipporah, Phineas. These are all Egyptian names, mm. okay? That shouldn't surprise us because again, the Israelites lived in Egypt. When you, when you meet a Jew today in the United States, his name is probably going to be Henry or Robert, okay? But be, that's because he's living in America in a place where people speak English and that these are the names, the common names. Um, I'll give you another example. When we read uh, the stories on Moses and, and 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 how God says to Moses, just know that I will make uh, the heart of Pharaoh um, hard. Hardened. Hard. Harden his heart. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now the word in Hebrew is Kavid, which means I will make his heart heavy. Mm. Okay. Now why am I, why am I putting this on the table? Because when we look at Egyptian theology we see that when Pharaoh dies, when he passes away and he goes to the next world, uh, there's a whole ceremony going on. Uh, the, the, The gods are putting the heart of Pharaoh on a scale, and on the other side of the scale is a feather. If the heart of Pharaoh is light, then he moves on to heaven. But if his heart is heavy then he's not going next, he's going to hell, Mm. okay? So, what we have here is a clear quotation from the Egyptian theology. What is God saying? Mm. God is saying, I'm going to make Pharaoh's heart heavy, which means I'm going to send him to hell, okay? Mm. Now, again, this, this shouldn't surprise us because the Bible was written at the time that it happened, so the Israelites know exactly what it means. But also the Egyptians that are re- are are hearing this and listening to this, because Moses is in Egypt at the time that this is happening, and he's sent, It's telling to everyone: Pharaoh is going to say no, because God is going to make his heart heavy. Heavy. Mm. You understand? So this is another sign of, of 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 Egyptian language, Egyptian culture, Egyptian religion that verifies. That the Bible was written indeed at the time that it's it's describing.
1: Interesting, you know. In the New Testament, we have uh, the uh, the epistles of Paul where he is going uh, to these Greek places and he says basically to the Greeks, I am Greek, to these people, I'm this people. So he's trying to fit in to help him them understand God from his perspective and, and speak their language, so to speak. And so it sounds like this is the same thing. Exactly. God is trying to say, hey, look, if you've been in the Egyptian culture for so long, I'm going to give you an Egyptian... Uh, idea that you can grasp, because that's what you've grown up with, is that right? Exactly. Okay.
3: exactly. But I actually have a surprise for you and and our audience. Um, There is a a theory going on among Bible scholars in Israel uh, and also outside of Israel, also Christian uh, Bible scholars, that uh, the Bible is not describing the whole story. Mm. Okay and and this this is, this is, this, is a, this is like I would say Bible 2.0 this is for people <laughs> who are advanced and, and, and people who are really interested.
1: Oh you're speaking to that audience. okay uh, okay go ahead, okay, go okay. ahead. yeah
3: so, so I'm going to share some interesting uh, thoughts about uh, what's going on. I think the first question we need to ask is is the Bible a history book? Now our gut reaction is to say yes because we have so many people denying the historicity of the Bible. And it's true that the Bible is describing real historical events. But the question is, is the Bible a history book? And my answer is, it's not. The Bible is a book of faith. It's a book of morality, of providence, of prophecy, of miracles. The Bible is describing historical events that prove the, uh, the that that serve the the, the narratives of the Bible, which I, which I just mentioned. I'll give you an example: the king of the king Josiah, for example, dies fighting uh, Pharaoh Necho, who invades the land of Israel. The, what the Bible is describing is just the death of Josiah by Pharaoh, but that's it. Why is Pharaoh going into the land of Israel? Where is he going to? What was his purpose in invading Canaan? We don't know that from the Bible. But when we read external sources, we see that there was a world war going on in the Middle East. Pharaoh was going to the aid of Assyria against the rise of Babylon. So he was actually going through Canaan to fight against the Babylonians. Hmm. And Josiah, in that context, is trying to Align with Assyria or trying to defend Canaan from Pharaoh's invasion, but the Bible is not saying anything about that because that's not important. What's important is Josiah's death. You understand? So, if the Bible was a book of history, it would have to to say everything about the context. Why is Pharaoh coming in? What's going on? What's his purpose? The Bible is not saying that, um, and so. When we look at the stories of Genesis and the Exodus, we see something that historically is unbearable. The story in Genesis finishes with the death of Joshua and the the Israelites multiplying. And then the next thing we see 400 years later is the story of Moses and the Exodus. So we have 400 years with no historical description, no historical account of what's going on with the Israelites, what's going on with the the Egyptians, what's going on with Canaan. We have no idea. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because, again, the Bible is not a history book. The aim of the Bible is to get as fast as possible to the story of the Exodus and the miracles, because that's, the important thing. That's, that's the, the main stage. That's, you know They're going to Sinai, they're going to Canaan, that's the main story. So, the question remains, what happens in these 400 years?
1: Mm-hmm. Good question.
3: And um, the good thing is that the Bible gives us a lot of riddles, but it also gives us information. And, uh, you know, I'm sure all our our readers or all all our audience uh, read through the Bible and they read the book of Chronicles. But when you read the book of Chronicles as a a Bible scholar and someone who lives in Israel, you get some new information that you've never noticed. When we open the book of Chronicles 1, 1 Chronicles chapter 7, uh, we see that there is a lineage of the tribe of Ephraim. Now who is Ephraim? Ephraim is the son of Joseph. And apparently Ephraim was born and raised in Egypt, continued living in Egypt. His descendants also lived in Egypt. But when you read Chronicles chapter seven, you see a totally different story. Suddenly the lineage of Ephraim stops and we hear a story. And the story is that the children of Ephraim are being killed by the people from the city of Gat, which is in Canaan, it's not in Egypt. Oh. They're coming to seize their flocks, and the, and the people of Gat kill them. And Ephraim, their father mourns, and then he brings more children to the world. And one of those children is a daughter by the name of She'era. And She'era builds towns and cities in Canaan that we can identify today. Hmm. So again, the book of Genesis doesn't say anything about this. The book of Exodus doesn't mention this. But we have clear verses in Chronicles that are telling us the following. Descendants of Ephraim are living in Canaan while the majority of the Israelites are in Egypt. And they're building towns and they're, they're tending to their flocks in Canaan. And this is happening in the area of their tribal land that we know about later on in the, to the book of Joshua, so this is this is news. What's going on here? We have Israelite tribes in Canaan, right? Because we assume that all of Israel
1: was in trapped Egypt. in Egypt. Exactly,
3: exactly. Uh, and now let me let me give you another interesting story. We go to the lineage of Menasseh, okay? Manasseh, again, is the son, the son of Joseph, the mm. brother of Ephraim. A, 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 someone who was born and raised in Egypt. His descendants were also supposedly have, have to be in Egypt. But suddenly we read the lineage of, of Manasseh, and we see that the son of Manasseh, Makir, is the father of Gilead. Now, for us, the father of Gilead means that he had a son called Gilead, which is true. But the Bible scholars and the Bible sages interpret the father of Gilead as the person who established the towns and villages of the region mm. of Gilead. Like a founding father. Exactly. Okay. Yep. So, mm. uh, so th- again, this is, this is surprising. We have another verse that, that says that, that, that there's a possible uh, Israelite colony, on the eastern side of the Jordan River in the area of the Gilead Mountains and the Golan Heights. Uh, And so why is this interesting? It's interesting because when we read the book of Exodus, when we read the book of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, we have a couple of question marks that arise. I'll give you an example. Um, The Israelites are, are, are advancing to Canaan. And suddenly we have some tribes that are seeing that the areas on the eastern side are very nice and very good for for cattle and for, for livestock, and they don't want to go into Canaan. They want to stay on the eastern side. Mm. So which, of these, which tribes asked Moses not to go into Canaan and stay outside in, in Jordan? So everybody says, oh, well, it's Reuben, God, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. But when you look at the Bible and you read it you see that the tribes that asked Moses to stay behind are just Reuben and God. And Moses is angry at Reuben and God for not wanting to come into Canaan. And Reuben and God say to Moses, we will go first into Canaan, battle and make sure the land is conquered and only after it's conquered we'll go back to our tribal land on the east. And then Moses is content and he gives Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh their their lands on the eastern side of the Jordan River. But the half-tribe of Manasseh never asked to stay behind. Mm. So, Mm. now we connect (laughs) the dots. Moses acknowledged the, 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 the tribe of Manasseh as already living there, okay? The book of Chronicles shows that the area of, Menashe, of Gilead and Golan Heights was already inhabited by the Menasites. And so when he gives those lands on the eastern side, he has to refer to that area which already belongs to the tribe of Manasseh, even though the tribe of Manasseh never asked to be there. Uh, so this is definitely a way to solve that riddle, that question mark that comes up.
1: Wow, that's very interesting. So how do you make... Okay, so we look at the Golan Heights today, very disputed area. Uh, How do you see politically today? Is there some kind of mirror with that sort of half-tribe of Manasseh being there and now what's going on with that today? Is there some connection?
3: I think that, that, you know, the fact that God made us victorious in, in 1967 and in 1973, the Six-Day War and the Yom Kippur War, that we were able to, to liberate the Golan Heights which were part of our biblical inheritance according to the Bible. These are the areas that, were, that belonged to the tribe, the half-tribe of Manasseh. Mm-hmm. And suddenly we have them back. Um, I think that that's a clear sign from God that 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 this has to to be part of modern Israel as well, um, and so uh, you know who knows what the future holds. But we have other areas in other countries as well that need to be uh, belong to, to the state of Israel, and who knows how that will will go through. But um, I think that what's what's really interesting and intriguing in that in that theory that that Israelite native tribes. We're living in Canaan while the other, the majority of the Israelites are in Egypt, is that that causes a, a, a huge problem. That problem is that when the Israelites are going through the miracles in Egypt, they're going through the parting of the Red Sea, but most importantly, they go through Sinai. They receive the name of the Lord, Y-H-W-H, because because the Lord says to Moses, I appear to the forefathers as El Shaddai. I did not appear to them as the Lord, Y-H-W-H. It means that this name started out in Sinai. That's where it came from. And so all of these events, the receiving of the Torah, the commandments, um, all of this is happening to a certain portion of the Israelite nation while their brethren, are not part of it. Mm. By the way, in Mount Sinai, God says to the Israelites, I'm appearing to you, but also to those that are not here. Okay? Ah. Who are those that are not here? It could be the future generations, mm-hmm. but it could also be Ephraim and Manasseh that are not part of this whole event that's going on. And so, you know, we have we have we have a difference here. We have a, a, a part of the Israelite nation that is still believing in the pre-Sinaitic theology, mm-hmm. which is monotheism—the monotheism of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's circumcision. Um, it's uh, uh, you know um, uh, the uh, not eating the the, uh, the the tendon because you know with Jacob fighting the angel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they revere the patriarchal sites of Bethel, Shiloh, Shechem, uh, um, they they, you know, they marry the, the brother with the, the wife of the late deceased brother. These are all commandments that are kept in the pre-Sinaitic uh, patriarchal Israelite religion. Suddenly we have Israelites coming out of Egypt with a new or an, an, an addition, a the, an addition theological uh, a, a worldview and theology that needs to be adopted by the native Israelite tribes in the land of Israel. So um, again, when we, see the, 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 when we look at the Bible, we see that there are three covenants that are occurring
1: in this story. Hold it right there. Let's let's talk about that next week. Okay. that. Is, that there's a whole story opening up here. Right. My mind is blown by <laughs> this. Makes all kinds of sense on all kinds of levels. So let, let's talk about that next week. So Aaron, thank you for joining us, and thank you for coming back next week. And you come back next week too. Okay. We're going to talk about the the three covenants. Uh, all about this story. There's a lot more to tell. So show up next week. Until then, shuvua tov, and uh, have a good week.